0: It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Kano sego ani bojo kwekwe tansi, and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 FM in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and you could also be listening anywhere across Canada if you. Uh, Download the Radio Player Canada app and type in uh, 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM and uh, just follow the directions after you've downloaded, open up the app and uh, on any device of your choice you could be listening anywhere across the country 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. So, Why am I telling you this? Well, maybe there's someone outside of our listening area that might want to, uh, you might think is interested in hearing some of our interviews or listening to the station. Well, you can tell them. They can catch us on the Radio Player Canada app, so please feel free to do so. And also, I want to mention that. If you uh, have missed an interview or you caught part of an interview and you want to hear the rest of that interview, by all means, you can go to our SoundCloud or to our website. We do post those, so they are up there for you to go back and listen to at your leisure. So please also pass that along in case someone else might be interested in hearing uh, an interview that we have uh, done previously as well. I'd like to welcome my first guest to the show today had her on the show before, but it's a pleasure to welcome back director Rebecca Snow. We're here talking about a, a film that uh, came out in uh, 2019, of course. It was in 2020 now, brand new year. And it's a film entitled Pandora's Box, Lifting the Lid on Menstruation. Now, I, I want to tell you that, and I'm, I'm speaking directly to Rebecca at this point in time, because after watching the film... Uh, I have to say that I'm embarrassed. And now, let me explain that. You might think, oh, it's because of maybe the topic. It's not necessarily the topic that embarrassed me. What embarrassed me was the way this has been looked at through history, and especially Mm -hmm. by men in particular, Mm -hmm. I guess. And and what seems to me, and I had no idea a lot of the things that I saw in the film. And I'm embarrassed as a man, uh, and I want to say I'm sorry because I don't know what else to do for whatever that counts for. I, I'm sorry that women have had to go through this, and, and it, it's sad. It, it's really sad to see that 50% of the world's population uh, for a basic need and, and something mm-hmm. that is very natural that women uh, have been exposed to the things that i saw in this film and continue to be in so many parts of the world
1: yeah well thank you for that and thank you so much for having me on the show i mean I, i'm 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 glad to hear you say that although obviously not i'm not glad that you're sorry and i'm not glad mm. that you're embarrassed but i'm glad to hear you say that the film had an impact on you because mm-hmm. um and you know i was surprised by what i encountered during making this film you know this film is about period poverty, um, which is basically the idea that for millions of of people who menstruate around the world, um, it is a reality that they do not have access to the supplies that they need in order to menstruate with dignity, um, in order to go to school, in order to go to work. Um, You know, we we met, um, we filmed in four continents. We filmed in Africa, India, Europe and the US and North America. And um, we met girls in Africa who sit at home bleeding for five to seven days a month, um, missing school, missing exams and then dropping out of school. Um, You know, one of the most heartbreaking stories is this girl that we met in um, in sub-Saharan Africa called uh, Helen and um, in Kenya. And she uh, her story is heartbreaking in the film. Um, So I'm sure that's part of what you're talking about. And then, you know, this idea, um, the film's also about menstrual equity, Mm -hmm. which is the, it explores the systematic barriers that are in place for people who menstruate um, in order to, uh, you know, lack of access, um, the barriers around education, the barriers around um, being able to access supplies and menstruate with dignity. And in some cases, it's sort of almost a human rights issue. Mm -hmm. And we went to, um we met some people in the US who were formerly incarcerated women and had you know horror stories mm-hmm. about the um lack of access to supplies and and it's a, it's a huge it's a huge problem
0: and you've you've touched on all the major sort of elements that are in the film uh and, and and I'm glad you you mentioned those I I didn't do that at the beginning I opened up with my apology but I'm saying that in a, in a you know in a good way I hope you understand it's it's not uh I, I it's It's an ignorance thing, yeah. I guess, in some ways uh, that that I had no idea that that a lot of these women like Helen that you yeah. mentioned a- and it is sad to see because they're I- because of what's going on in their lives mm-hmm. they're they're forfeiting their future and and it's all because of this natural thing that that they can't do you know women cannot do anything about it it's Absolutely. part of being a woman
1: uh, you know periods should not be a barrier to anyone they shouldn't right. hold anyone back from participating fully in society mm-hmm. and that's what the film this film explores yes. um and you know we i mentioned we filmed on four continents yes. you know we 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 filmed with with uh girls like Helen um and we also filmed you know i thought it was really important to bring this um into us you know into the developed world and you know this is an issue not only in sub-saharan africa and in india and other places it's also an issue in london and toronto Mm -hmm. and new york and and the cities that you know on our doorstep um and so it's very important to to sort of highlight that i thought in the film um so we take it we look at it globally Mm -hmm. um and you know in in the uk i think it's one in ten school girls um cannot afford one in ten girls can't afford um menstrual supplies in the uk um, and, and, and we talked to politicians and we talked to activists and, and what that does to, um, you know, one of the most important things that everyone's pushing right now is education for girls. Mm. And what that does to gender equality is immense. And it's all because of this natural bodily function that's holding people back.
0: Thank you for mentioning that about the education, because that is another thing that really surprised me to see in many countries where, Girls that are, uh, you know, reaching puberty, they're not getting education even from their own families about what is happening with their bodies, and 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 not understanding. You know, g- some girls <laughs> were, you know, mentioned that I had cancer. I didn't know what was happening. I, you know, uh, I thought I was getting a disease. You know, uh, and and these kind of things, and and it, it was uh, very surprising to see that. And and of course, again, uh, some of this is happening right within the home of. of the, the parents not because that's what they were taught. And so they're just passing that same, that same yeah. knowledge or lack of it down to their. Absolutely. Their kids. There
1: there are many places like in India, there is um, basically reproductive health is not really taught in mm-hmm. schools in India. Mm. Um, uh, so a lot of girls, I think it's 60%. There was a recent UNICEF study and I think it's 60% of girls in India don't know what about periods before their first period happens. So it is a, as you can imagine terrifying experience for a lot of them and and their mothers won't talk about it in a lot of cases because it's taboo it's a very taboo subject in a lot of places it is still taboo in our society frankly um and so because it's not talked about um there's there's lack of knowledge around it um and the other thing that's that's um very uh prevalent in some places is the stigma and the around menstruation and some of the customs that that are that are enforced on women or that women enforce upon themselves mm. because of menstruation you know something that's been in the press a lot recently are the are the menstrual huts in Nepal um and uh, in parts of Nepal it's it's very it's 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 being banned and it's it's you know hopefully um decreasing but the idea that um when people are menstruating they're unclean and they have yes. to be banished to different different right places and that's incredibly dangerous and incredibly alienating and yeah, it's, and it's
0: yeah. awful. And, and there's some stories, some, some horrible stories about this simple monthly uh, natural process that, that, that ends up in the death of some of these women because of their band to these, these, these huts as you pointed Absolutely. out and we, we see a little bit of that in, in the film and, and I think that's the, the wonderful thing that, that if I can use that term for, the, for what you have done with the film in that showing us this global view. And that it isn't not just a, thir- a third world issue, and and you know that whole idea about period poverty that you bring into it, and and it is everywhere, um, and it. it is very uh, it, it's shocking, and and even to learn that. Well, we hear you know the one thing, the other thing of course that is great about the film is that it doesn't just just talk about. Uh, those issues it mm-hmm. does bring us into some of the issues that are happening to to help resolve this absolutely and and talks about how and we we 've heard some of this in the news recently even even within uh, i think Ontario or Canada, where they're, uh, the governments are now starting to supply some of these these um, uh, menstrual supplies for women and mm-hmm. girls at two schools yep. and th- you know that's be- that 's happening in Britain that we saw you know some yep. of that is happening and and there is of course things that are happening to yep. help educate women even in india where they saw some of those things yeah now, and so there are some positive stories that came yeah. out of that as well and uh and so you you don't just get that side of it you s- you do see these these other things yeah. but you mentioned about y- y- you know how when when a woman is menstruating and how it is seen as evil and, and that really you know that to me I, when i when i saw that and i heard about uh, you know, women are banned from from some religious uh, areas mm-hmm. and they're not allowed in certain things. And and they think not only is it evil, but it's thought as as, as very powerful. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, it's seen as powerful, but evil Shouldn't and, and, it and scary, it's <laughs> yeah. you yeah. know, and. It, it, it's like, wow, that is, yeah. you know, it, it's where does all this stuff, yeah. well, you know, and you touch on that, you go back to yeah. the Bible, you touch on some of these. We
1: things. have a great um, his, a, a sort of uh, social historian, a woman who's written about a, a sort of cultural history of menstruation, Alyssa mm. Stein in the film, and she's fantastic. And she goes through all of that stuff about, you know, these passages in the Bible or the Quran or, you know, the uh, Hindu texts, which talk about, you know, the, the, the bad tidings and the evilness mm-hmm. and the ominous of, of menstruation um and it's it's fascinating to see where all this comes from and then but she also talks about how you know in in you know recent generations just the idea that it's always been something that's been sort of hush hush it's not talked about and that's part of the issue here and that's part of what we also highlight in the film this thing called the menstrual movement which has been sort of generating since well in the last decade at least um this movement of of people Trying to talk about menstruation more, people trying to um, confront those barriers, whether it be barriers um, in education, justice, um, you know, uh, economic barriers to um, these people who to people who menstruate who cannot access supplies or who cannot uh, access education around these things, and there's a huge movement going on. Something, someone that we. There's lots of people involved in the movement, including activists and mm. and movers and shakers, mm-hmm. people who are coming mm-hmm. up with incredible innovations yeah. in places like yes. sub-Saharan Africa with reusable pro- reusable pads. And um, one of the, uh, the 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 film is actually the film was was uh, completely financed by Diva International, who are makers of, of the Diva Cup, a menstrual cup, mm. a reusable menstrual cup company, mm. um, and they just really wanted to get behind this social issue, mm. and they. Um, sort of introduced us to loads of incredible people doing amazing things for menstrual equity all over the place. And one of those people um, who, was, who was really fantastic in the film, and she has an amazing story, is a, is a uh, uh, drummer and musician called Kieran Gandhi. Yes, Madam Gandhi is her performing name. And we interviewed her here at the AGO in Toronto mm-hmm. as she was performing at the Art Gallery of Ontario. And um, she became very well-known in the menstrual movement because in the 2015 London Marathon, she ran the marathon free bleeding, yes. um, which means she didn't use any menstrual products and she happened to be on her on her monthly cycle. And so by the end of the marathon, you know, her pink leggings were stained with blood and it was there was a huge uproar. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was there was some positive yep. um, sort of feedback, but it went completely viral. Yep. And there was also lots of people who were utterly disgusted by this, sure. by this woman who right. was running um, showing the world that she was bleeding, yeah. and we interviewed Kieran about it, and um, she was incredible because she said, you know, I have the privilege of, you know, yeah. deciding whether I want to, whether I can, you know, um, deal with my menstruation in in the sort of dignified mm-hmm. um, way that you know a lot of people do. Um, but I decided that I that I wanted to sort of highlight this issue that no one that 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 there are so many people who don't have that privilege it's not it shouldn't be a privilege it should be a right to deal with their menstruation um to uh to access products and and she wanted to highlight that that there are millions of people around the world who don't who cannot and and they wouldn't leave their houses because of it because this is something that is that is um you know not talked about not seen as something that you know Yes. Th- no one's aware of. Yes,
0: and thank you for bringing that up. I was going to talk about uh, Madame Gandhi as well, and and, uh, and and that being in the in the the uh, film itself. And uh, her story is she talks a little bit about. Leading up to that race and, mm-hmm. and the decision she was making at the time. Mm-hmm. So there is more to that story uh, within the film. I, and I just want to jump in and, and say to everyone that you're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM. My guest is director Re- uh, Rebecca Snow. We're talking about Pandora's Box, Lifting the Lid on Menstruation. And it's a film that uh, she has worked on. It's uh, it come out uh, recently. And uh, people can, we'll be able to see this where? Where will the yeah? Will so we we this?
1: just um, it's playing film festivals right now. We okay. just premiered uh, at Whistler Film Festival in yep. December, um, and we also won a special jury award for yes, the film, which was fantastic. Um, and we're about to play Santa Barbara Film Festival nice, in the U.S. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll be its um, uh, American uh, U.S. premiere. Um, and then there'll be some other festivals rolling out, uh, but the film will hopefully be available for people to see in 2020. Mm-hmm. That's great. But so. they can go and they can follow us online. There's a yes. there's a um, website, Pandora's Box The dot com. Yes. Um, and also on social.
0: Yes. So if you go to Pandora's Box, the mm-hmm. dot com, uh that also allows people to get involved uh, with the process Absolutely, as well. Absolutely, yeah. And, and learn more about it and uh, comment and, and, and uh, do whatever you feel you would like to do to help, uh, help lift the lid, as uh, we're, we're talking about here. Um, now, uh, you know, as we said earlier, it does show some of the plight of this issue uh, and the history and the things that are continuing to happen. But it also does also shed some light on the positive. Mm -hmm. And I really liked one of the comments. And before I go any further, I want to mention, and and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Mm -hmm. but indigenous cultures um, view this as the uh, moon cycle. Mm -hmm. And it is because, because indigenous cultures, at least here uh, and what I know of it from my own uh, community and uh, six nations is that uh, it's, 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 Revered as something that is that is uh, a, a a position of strength for women, and it's very healthy, and it's it's something that women should be very proud of, mm-hmm. and that they it's a, a learning time. Now I'm you know I'm not the I'm not by any means an expert on this, but I think it would be great to to learn more about that because I think that brings power back to women f- on this topic absolutely, as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so. Um, y- having said that, there is uh, one line in, in that story I- in the film about how uh, uh, how someone says there are positives. you know there are positives that for women out of this mm-hmm. it, it means you 're healthy it, mm-hmm. you know it means this your reproductive system is working and yeah. and all of these things and and so uh, that 's you know just one of the little things. but as you mentioned earlier, the idea mm-hmm. that in some of these third world countries where they don 't have even even places to dispose of the napkins right. anyway, there's right. no there's no toilets, there's no garbage, there's no so they have to come up with ways of reusing yes, but but you go deeper into that story, which I thought was very, very interesting as well, because there's there's the stigma, oh, we can't hang this stuff out. Mm-hmm. so how do you get around that to mm-hmm. make it look as if these aren't uh, you know personal items they're hanging up? so I, I thought that was very clever, and then, of course, what I really liked was how that was explored right on camera because I guess it was happening as you were interviewing yeah, someone. Yeah. And the and this woman says, Who what's what's He's going on? This. You gotta get me yeah. ho- in touch with this person.
1: Yeah, there's a great company called Days for Girls who are um who are creating these reusable pads. Mm-hmm. And they as you say, there's there's tabo- there's sort of taboos around hanging out your personal um mm-hmm. laundry, you know, you don't want people to see them. You know, you've cleaned right. your reusable pad. Where are yep. you supposed to hang it? And so, Days for Girls have come up with a very clever solution to how you know to deal with that, with mm-hmm. that, that stigma. Um, so, and what they're doing is they're they're trying to get these pads out to girls who are otherwise skipping school because they're not they're not right. able to manage their menstruation. And the people who are doing it, um, uh, what's so amazing about Days for Girls is that they're really um, harnessing local women. And, and creating these yes. little enterprises right. of women who, and in some cases, these are women who were completely, completely um, affected by period poverty and menstrual inequity. Yes. So in their lives, you know, um, there's one character in the film called Christine, who's amazing. We follow her through the film um, and we see her journey um, and how menstrual inequity and period poverty impacted her, but then how she's part of the solution in in Kenya. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing. To be able to follow these people, you know, I really wanted this film to be sort of character driven. It's very much a social Mm -hmm. issue film. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, but to be able to follow characters through this film, and sort of see um, the issue through their eyes was really important. And that's what we did sort of all over the globe.
0: Yeah. And it was nice to see those things. Going back, though, to, uh, you know, some of those those heartbreaking comments that you hear, And I want to, I want to just, it's something I saw, I remember near the beginning of the film and, and, and I believe it's from one of the women in the States that was incarcerated. And, um, you know, she, she said a couple of things, but one was, and I remember this line and I'm not sure if she said this or is this the line that, that I, that I remember seeing is that, you know, we're we're putting women in the position of apologizing for just being a woman Mm -hmm. and, and how, where can you go from there? How do you, you know, you're starting off, you know, without equality, but mm-hmm. just by that, by saying that. So, you know, in terms of menstrual menstrual equality and and um, uh, period poverty, these things, um, and then, you know, the car- the incarceration. You hear about the incarceration stories and how degrading that is, and um, and that they're denied these mm-hmm. things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and the United States is is one of the worst for doing this. Yeah and it really is alarming to see that and yeah. and to what to what end what is the advantage of doing that and and, the, and i think someone del- deliberately says it's only th- to make some them feel in less it's like than further a punishment. Yeah, further I punishment. I mean, it's interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only reason that any of this is an issue, obviously, and you've you 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 completely um, hit the nail on the head at the beginning here, is because it's a women's issue. Yeah. It's not a men's issue. Right. There's a there's a great article um, by Gloria Steinem called. She wrote in the seventies. It's a very short essay, and it's definitely worth looking up. It's called If Men Could Menstruate. Yeah, and it's very it's very amusing. It's very sort of. Um, terrifying but it's very amusing because she's you know none of this would be an issue it would be celebrated it would be you know free access to products i think what a lot of people don't realize is that menstrual products in a lot of the world luckily not in canada i'm very proud to say but in most of the world menstrual products are taxed yes as um there's a sales tax on them you know and a lot of things aren't a lot of things are exempt from sales tax because Mm -hmm. so you know in the states we have we have some fun with this in the film because it's so ridiculous that in in a lot of states, um, some states are, are starting to um, exempt uh, menstrual products, but in a lot of the states, I think it's 30, 32 states now, but I might be wrong because it is changing. Um, that menstrual products are still are still taxed uh, yes. by sales tax, whereas things like um, gun club membership, yes. you know, golf club membership, donuts, <laughs> yes, uh, and the best of all, Viagra yes. is not. Head and shoulder right. shampoo and Viagra yes. are not. Are not are not yes. um, subject to sales tax because they are deemed necessities, necessities. whereas menstrual products aren't. Right. I mean, how uh, yeah. that's just completely yes. baffling, yes. isn't it? And, um, and there
0: is that uh, that moment where uh, um, former President Obama is asked that question as well, yeah. and he does say it probably is because men. But you know, you say this is a women's issue, and and it it's true, of course. But you know, men and women. Uh, share lives together, so it is a it's, men's issue as it's, well, and it's and absolutely
1: a men's issue. You know, I think something that I would love to see with this film is I would love to see this film um, being shown in all boys' schools around the mm. world. You know, I think I think part of the issue in the part of the solution um, is 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 talking about it and educating and to be able to and, and educating our boys about i mean educating girls and boys mm-hmm. but but definitely not excluding yeah. the boys from this yeah. because i think for them to, it is absolutely you're right a men's issue as well because it's a gender equality issue right. um so it's you know in an inverted commas a women's issue because it's about women's but it's about of course. Uh, but then this is interesting too because um and you'll you'll see in the film we also talk about and i have been referring to people who menstruate not women who menstruate and women yes. and girls because um it's not just women who menstruate yes. um uh, we have an incredible interview with a um transgender man in yes. London yes. in the UK who talks about he's sort of the first transgender guy to really talk openly about menstruate yeah. about menstruating as a transgender man mm-hmm. um and he's he's a very interesting interview so mm-hmm. really now one has to say you know um people who menstruate it's not just women yes. um so i think the idea of being able to talk about it and getting the issue out there is just it's it's a huge part of the battle yes
0: um, and, and again, uh, I think adding on to that about the, the gender equality and it being an issue for, for both sexes, men and women is the line that I remember seeing at one of the, I think it was, is that one of the rallies where, uh, someone said, we, we bled each month, uh, until we gave birth to you. That's I a, thought that was a really good line.
1: It's a great, it's a, it's a line from one of Madam Gandhi's songs. Ah, okay. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. The future is female. Yeah. Yes. So that's, yeah, she's, she's. Yeah. Her her, her her music yes, is right. very yeah, is yeah. very um you know futuristic female
0: yeah uh, and she, yes she's great to to watch in there now the other thing that I thought was interesting and I thought uh, there are a few humorous sort of moments yeah. and and where I thought you were going with the uh, having fun was the ad that we saw and it was about the state tax thing and it's about I think Amber Rose who is oh, yeah, <laughs> starring great. in the it's video. a great ad yeah it is a great yeah. ad what a great uh, what a great uh, so you know it, there are some fun things now the other thing of course which I was very surprised and I had to I had to laugh at um, you know when they when they and, and they brought up the ad for United States uh, America has Superman mm. and Batman mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. Spider-Man but in India we have Padman yeah. which is great. It's about
1: this huge Bollywood <laughs> film that's come out about a guy called Padman. He yeah. it's a it's a it's a true story. Yeah. It's this guy who found solutions to making these uh, yeah. these low low-priced pads mm-hmm. for in, in in India. So yeah, it's <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in the movement. There's a lot of um, of uh, people shining light on yes. the issue, which is great. And that's what we're trying to do with the film is uh, is just um, join that, um, you know, shine a light on the menstrual movement. Yes.
0: Now, and, and as we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, you also go into uh, some uh, some of the political realms in the countries and some of the people that are moving forward with trying to get changes at government level yeah. uh, to recognize this. And I thought it was really interesting that the woman from, from Britain... Um, who has started this? You know uh, about the the period of poverty, mm-hmm. and uh, they raised what about one hundred and thirty five thousand signatures yeah, yeah. on a petition yeah. that they then took to to uh, who,
1: at the time Prime Minister Theresa May. Yeah.
0: Yes, and it never it really went. anywhere. It, it didn't go
1: anywhere. But they the Conservative government did then, I think, within a year, um, announce that they will be addressing um basically uh giving free supplies yes. to schools yes and colleges yes um so that is happening the labor the the shadow government the labor government were the first people to announce that they would what were, were they going you know when they take power mm. um they were going to yes. address this immediately right. and then the conservative government within a year or so close behind are starting to address that now so it's that's going to be rolling out in the uk
0: right um as, as we said, um, Pandora's Box, Lifting the Lid on Menstruation is the name of the film. Uh, look for it in a theater uh, or, or perhaps uh, on a streaming service at some point in the yep. near future. Yep. Uh, as uh, Rebecca has pointed out, it is now going through the, uh, the film circuit uh, and, and winning some awards and getting a lot of recognition. So congratulations. Thank you very much. And uh, all the best with this and, and let's hope that it really does lift the lid and and you know ha- have us look at this in in a in a different light. you know the other thing that I remember being mentioned is that, and, and they they talk about this, you talk about this in the film it's just the language, the language around menstruation. Yeah. you yeah. can't even mention it, yeah. you know you can't say it yeah I think it was uh, I think they said in nineteen eighty something where the first time ever the word period" was used mentioned uh, yeah. on television yeah
1: yeah i mean it's it's interesting one of, one of the people we interviewed was a a young m p um, in the UK and she was the first mm. member of parliament to stand up <laughs> yes. in a, a seat of government and yes. talk about her period yes. openly yes. because she was trying to shine light on, on the exactly. period of poverty and, and and so and this was this was 2018 mm. you know which yep. is so that's the first time someone yes. stood up in, in, a, in a seat of government and talked about their period yes.
0: apparently anywhere <laughs> on the globe that they <laughs> yeah, know of exactly uh, very interesting um, uh, Rebecca, thanks again for coming in and and uh, talking to us about this and um, I wish you all the best and and you know a timely topic uh you know uh, you know I think the future is uh, going to be female as pointed out in the film uh, and let 's hope it is because I think it they can 't do uh, any worse than we have <laughs> so far i don 't think that you know with men in charge so um so thank you once again for coming in and sharing this and uh, and all the best in the future. Thanks so much. You're welcome. And uh, don't go away. We're going to be right back here on Moment of Truth and Element FM right after this. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. And of course, you could be listening on the Radio Player Canada app. And that could be anywhere across the country. If you download the app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 and follow the directions, you could be listening on your device of choice 24-7, seven days a week. And uh, if someone has missed uh, an opportunity to hear an interview, or if you have, or someone is outside of our listening area that you think might enjoy our programming or hearing some of our interviews, please let them know that they can do that. And uh, they're welcome to do that. We can also... Uh, tell you that we are we put our interviews up on our uh, SoundCloud and on our website. So you can go there and listen to uh, a full interview if you've missed part of one or if you want to hear one that you missed entirely or someone you think would like to hear it, you can go and listen to it on our SoundCloud and uh, website. So having said that, I'd like to welcome my next guest to the show, Jesse Thistle. Uh, Jesse is a Métis Cree Scott PhD candidate. And uh, he's at York University, my alma mater. I went to York University myself, so it's nice to see somebody. You actually work there now, Jesse. Yes, I do, yeah. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Now, uh, you are, among other things, uh, an author as well. Yes. And uh, we're here to talk a little bit about that book of yours, uh, From the Ashes. It's about your own personal story, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's a a story that... uh, uh, shed some light on uh, not necessarily a, a, a wonderful past, but one that you were able to to raise yourself out of and uh, come into uh, things that have produced some uh, some positives for you. Let's That's put it correct. that way. I mean, you've had some some wonderful positive stories that have been generated for you since you turned your yourself around.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think it's like the darkness of the night sky, and then you can see like. Uh, the, the stars are the new success that I have against that backdrop. Mm-hmm. So it gives it a context, mm-hmm. you know, my the awards that I've won in school, me being an assistant professor, mm-hmm. uh, governor general winner. Yeah. So th- uh, contrasted against my life, it kind of shows like where I've come from and where I'm
0: going too. So you mentioned contrast. So why don't we give people a little bit of context with that because <laughs> we're talking about where you are now, the, some of the awards, your book that you've written, uh, From the Ashes. Which people can can pick up and read. Uh, they can get that at local bookstores and get it online, right? Yeah, yeah. So the book is the long durée of my life,
2: yeah. from my time as a child on the road allowances all the way up through uh, me being adopted by my grandparents in Brampton, suburban Brampton, just outside of Toronto, and then growing up without any sense of myself as an Indigenous uh, young boy. Grew up resentful, made a series of I wouldn't say the best choices. I got involved in alcohol and drugs, which is very common for adoptees that don't know themselves. And then I descended into homelessness for off and on for about 10 years. And it was through the justice system that I I got off the streets and found my way.
0: Now, that's an interesting story right there about um, about using the justice system and how you used it, because you kind of deliberately made that as a, a way to get yourself some help if I understand it correctly, you were you were actually, uh, you had a physical ailment. You had an infected foot. You, you attempted to rob a, a store. Um, yeah. couldn't go through with it. You hid yourself in a garbage can, but you then turned yourself in. And, exactly. And then you were offered uh, a chance. Yeah, that's where my life kind of turned
2: around. I had a serious infection in my leg. I believed that I was going to lose my leg, and mm-hmm. so I got really desperate, and the only thing I could think of was to rob a store, and I went. I went back to where I'm from in Brampton, robbed a Seven Eleven there, and I did a lousy job. Right, it was a it was a cockamamie kind of attempt at a robbery, and I got afraid halfway through it, and I jumped into a dumpster and covered myself with trash, and uh, I couldn't even do that right. That's mm. how out of control my life was. Mm. And a couple of weeks later, because of paranoia, I was using a lot of crack cocaine. Mm. I just couldn't bear the thought of like police everywhere. Mm. And so I turned myself in. And when I went in front of the judge, he, the judge realized that I wasn't like a, cr- a criminal. I was right. desperate and right. scared for my leg. And yeah. he offered me the chance to change. But I still did get in trouble. I yes. cycled in and out of the justice system until I finally got sentenced in Ottawa after a break and enter. Ah. But that was the beginning. That was the turning point of my life was the robbery.
0: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that paranoia and and that I guess in some ways that was a saving grace for you. That paranoia turned you around. It made you look at your situation differently.
2: Oh, it did. Yeah, because there was it would box me in. I realized that I couldn't continue the way I was going because like there were authorities that were perceived or real that I knew Uh, There were, I I would be caught or, you know, I needed to straighten out because they would get me. I used to see these like shadow creatures and their Mm. manifestations of my Mm. paranoia. I was losing my mind. I was in Mm. psychosis. Mm. And so they kind of chased me into being a better person, I guess, you know, in the long run. And I'm thankful for them, even though it was horrible while mm-hmm. I was going through mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to other people who are addicts, you know, especially people who do stimul- stimulants, and they've described these shadow people or, and these entities uh, running after them. Those that get sober, anyways, yeah. right?
0: You know, it's it's interesting, and I'm sure that there may be uh, people out there. You 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 tell your story, uh, but I'm sure it's not the only one. There are other people, as you just mentioned, that you've talked to, and so maybe there are people out there that that this uh, can can help. When I when I read this, when I look at your story, it's not far from my own mm. in many ways, um, especially from the early life. And about uh, you know, I remember uh, the, the one of the lines you you you, you m- mention is, um, "Can I just get through this moment?" Yeah. Well, that I can totally recognize. It was yeah. it was exactly where I was at a point in my life. Can I get through this moment? And I have to take moment by moment and build upon those moments in order to sustain myself, to not go, uh, in, to not go somewhere that was going to, to derail my entire life. Yeah. And so I can, you know, and, and building on those moments sure. is, 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 is at least what I did until I could build the moment up to a minute and a minute into five minutes and five minutes into ten minutes. That's things. exactly how it works. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I had to set these one or two-minute or five-minute goals yep. while I was in treatment And to me, despite all the achievements that I have now, um, all the things that I've done, it's those first 60 days, 90 days that were actually my greatest achievement because like the world was stacked against me. My own mind Mm -hmm. was stacked against me. My body was forcing me to go out and use. And I literally had to set those goals and pride myself in I'm sober for this one day. Mm -hmm. And then that one day turned to three. And after a while, it turned to 90. And I remember the way that my name looked on the accomplishment boards. It's still, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just such a powerful Mm. thing that is so in my mind that, like, when I think of other things that are hard in my life now, I'm like, there'll never be anything that's Mm -hmm. as hard as those first 90 days of sobriety.
0: Yeah, interesting that you mention that. And and I know that... um I think your, your grandmother, the death of your grandmother, um, yeah. was was an important uh, uh, milestone as well for you.
2: Sure, it was. Yeah. Like uh, all the time that I was cycling in out uh, of the justice system and on the streets and like in between places and like dive rooms and whatever I was renting, my grandmother was the only one that really kept con- like contact with me, mm. that cared for me. Mm. I'm sure the other people did too, but she was the one that expressed it. Right. And so when I was in rehab, she contracted leukemia and this is the woman that raised me uh, adopted me after my family fell apart when I was young and I went to the room and I made her a promise that I would do better and I would like try to help people instead of hurt society that I'd stay sober and that I'd go to university and that was the last contact I had with her and she never saw me sober she never saw any of the mm. the progress that I made after right and so sure she, she only did. sure she did I hope I hope I hope you know and uh yeah, that was probably the, one of the most important moments of my life because it gave me purpose. Mm-hmm. While I was coming out of like these yeah. small goals, these 90-minute, these 90-day goals that I was setting for myself early on and so with that, I used that to like leverage myself into university and like to become a the person I am today.
0: Yeah. Uh, and and that is something else I can readily identify with because there was there were some people at the time that that helped me. That I looked up to, that mentored me to some degree and uh, tried to get me out of you know where I was and to believe in myself, et cetera et etc and I think that what you 're saying about your grandmother, your situation with her, and stating what you did w- to her I- is kind of like what what I felt when I went to university, and you you said something about this as well when you went to university and and when you uh, either accomplished either got an award or you got something is why am I here? Do I deserve to be here? Yeah. Boy, I can totally understand that because that's what went, went through my mind and still does to some degree oh, on different sure. things. It always is there in the back of your head. Do I deserve this? Am I supposed to be here? Aren't the people more deserving than me?
2: Yeah. I, I, I still feel that every day when I go to lecture in front of my classes, I'm like, I'm from a different mm. strata of society where most of my friends, their are dead Mm. Or they're locked up in prison, or they've lost their minds, and like I'm one of a very few amount that have come out the other side. And so, when I won my awards, the Governor General, or the Trudeau, or the Vanier Scholarship, I was like, they must have gotten the wrong guy because <laughs> it can't be me. But like that's that's that self doubt that'll yeah. always be there. Right. But I use it as kindling, kind of mm-hmm. like keep me motivated, yeah. keep me hungry, yeah. because I, I feel like I have to outperform everybody. Sure.
0: Know, all the time. So. And you have done so. I mean, you have uh, accomplished... You, you did very, very well academically when you returned to yeah, school. Yeah, yeah, I did. Now, you also had a unique perspective, I think, that when you came to your academic studies, because you, you mentioned earlier at the top of the interview about, about the road allowances, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure how many people know about the Métis road allowance and that whole situation that happened with Métis people mm-hmm. uh, living basically on... Side of roads, because there was nowhere else for them to go.
2: That's right. Yeah, so after the 1885 Northwest resistance, we were punished basically by Canada. Our treaty rights were stripped away. Uh, They didn't honor and give us land. We couldn't access settler society. And so the only place left for Métis people who looked indigenous uh, was the side of the roads and railways on infrastructure plots known as uh, road allowances. And Mm -hmm. my family lived there for a hundred years, all the way up until my mm-hmm. generation in the seventies. And that's when our families fell apart and a whole generation of our youth were let go into adoption. It's kind of like the sixties scoop. I was lucky though. I was raised in, um, in Toronto by my, my white father's uh, family. Mm. And I was raised without my indigenous heritage and that was very damaging. So when I was coming out the other end, trying to rediscover myself and stay sober. I knew that was a key part of me staying sober was to rediscover my heritage. And I went to university with that that fire. I really wanted to know who I was, what my family's history was, you know, what my mom and all my uh, people around me meant when they said well, that we were half Indian, right? That mm-hmm. was the terms that they mm-hmm. used. And then I realized we weren't Indian at all. <laughs> we're Métis and mm-hmm. Cree. And we have this long and rich history of, middlemen and fur traders. And it goes way back 200 years before the resistance even happened where we were wealthy. Mm. And I got this uh, pride from that, that I didn't have before. And so just that hunger is what actually drove me to get the grades that I got, because it wasn't like I was there to get a degree. I was there to figure myself out and, Mm -hmm. and basically not relapse and die. And that gave me the edge over everybody
0: else. It's interesting. I can readily identify with that as well, about finding yourself. And it's exactly what happened to me at university. And, and prove something to yourself, I guess, as well.
2: Yeah, I, I'd always been kind of, I, I wouldn't say a loser. I, I would right. just say someone that just didn't have many yeah. accomplishments. Yeah. And I just wanted to see if, if I could do something yeah. meaningful for once.
0: And I just want to let everyone know you're listening to Element FM. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Jesse Thistle. He is an author. He's also uh, an assistant professor at York University and in teaching history, I believe. Is that yes? Right? I teach Métis history. Métis history specifically. Yeah. Okay. And you've been there for how long, Jesse? Well, I
2: just started. I uh, my first semester began uh, in September of I 2019. See. Okay. And I'm in my second semester and. Yeah, it's an interesting job.
0: And I haven't been to York uh, for a number of years, but every time I go back, the campus is that much more bigger and there's more buildings. <laughs> it's yeah, like it's like the third monster. largest in
2: the, the country now. It's <laughs> yeah, huge. Yeah. yeah,
0: but a great school from yeah. what, at uh, least my, my uh, recollections and the time I spent there, it was great.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great school, open to uh, Indigenous history. You know, I'm mm-hmm. among a, like a wave of new Indigenous historians that are teaching our
0: history through our eyes, mm-hmm. and it's wonderful. So just let me let me ask you this: What what came first after you, uh, or even it, maybe it started happening? while you were going through the process of of education, the idea of writing your book. Why did you think that was important to do?
2: I'd started in rehab actually in okay. two thousand eight and nine. Mm-hmm. I had to do my my AA steps. Mm-hmm. And I don't get into this in the book because it's it's an anonymity and I can't really talk about like yep. the program. Mm-hmm. But my program was that I had to do 12 steps. And then on the fourth step, I had to do uh, what's called a moral inventory. And I had to look at all the different things that I did to people, oh, yeah. that people did to me that made me shameful, resentful, hurtful, uh, not proud of myself. And I wrote them down on cue cards mm. basically to understand what had happened because… Sure. You know, like addiction is incomprehensible and it doesn't make sense while you're actively in it. Mm. You have to reflect on it after you get sober. And so I collected these over time and I just started getting a huge pile of them. And by the time I got to university, my pile grew. And when I graduated, my pile grew even more. And because I won all these major awards, I graduated the top student at York University in 2015, a student body of Mm 50,000. Uh, that caught media attention, Sure. right? Because uh, I won all these awards and yeah. the Toronto Star came to talk to me and I just let it slip that I had this other life yeah. that I come from the streets. Right. And, um, he did his article, it came out, and then two days later someone at Simon & Schuster contacted me. Mm. I went down and they asked me if I had anything that I'd written about my life and I had all these four steps right. that I had written. That's why the stories in the book are all fragmented Right. because they're really just my fourth step that I didn't think anybody else was going to read. And so there's an honesty in those stories that I think if I was trying to write for an audience I mm. wouldn't have right. gotten able that. to capture yeah. Yeah, cause it. Yeah, cuz it's just for me and
0: sure. you know. You know, that's that's really interesting because it just goes to show you you never know what might come out of something that you're going through that could Could be positive and could because it's that it's 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 great for you. But let's face it, this is also good for other people. It's it's a learning tool for other people if they go there and see this and they reflect on something in there that they see about their own lives that they can learn from and take and help themselves with.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what's happened. So I get like emails from people all over the country now that they're thankful that I wrote it because they can better understand their brother or their Mm -hmm. uncle or (laughs) themselves, or it helps them in their recovery or understand their mother and the way that their family dynamic is impacted by history. All these things that I never expected Mm -hmm. as well as all the different people that work in the different institutions that touched my life, you Mm -hmm. know, corrections, health, Mm -hmm. um, education, all these things. Uh, people are sending me emails and saying, thank you for writing. And now I better understand my student Mm -hmm. or my patient or the, the inmate that I've been working with or whatever. So, Mm -hmm. and That was totally unintended. I didn't expect anybody to read it, much less be affected by it and help them in their lives. Mm.
0: And, you know, you mentioned something about uh, it might help your brother or whatever and as you were talking about your four steps or the steps you were going through. um, I remember, and I have a brother, and uh, both my my brother and my father were both alcoholics or are alcoholics. I guess that's Mm. how you say you're always one. Um, And... uh, I have a great relationship with my brother. We don't see each other that much, but we have our own issues going back to our own family and all that stuff that, you know, cr- uh, created issues for us in our early life. And I remember my brother is not one to call me much. And one night I got a call. He, he lives on the west coast, and I got a call about 11 o'clock at night, and uh, from my brother. All of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. and he sa- "I said, yeah, what's up?" You know, and he said, "Well, I I want to tell you uh, that I'm a, an alcoholic." And I went, "Oh, well." knew that to some degree right but he said it's part of the 12 step process i have to do Right, so he was yeah. starting to do his 12 steps and that was one of the things and what was interesting from that um is that uh i got very angry with him when he told me that a- and the reason i got angry is because we had been talking to him as family members for a while about you know get yourself right. together straighten up you know yeah. what are you doing um you know he's married man family man kids works you know had a life going but he mm-hmm. had this thing you know and it, it, because he was carrying on with life it wasn't devastating but it obviously was going to get that way because yeah. it, it ultimately uh, had a very finan- big financial impact on his life so right and uh so uh i can readily identify with with that as well and there's more we could talk about but um it, it's i i want to come come back to to say now that you've done this, you're at this point, things have turned around for you and they're looking good. Um you're you've started this new position at York University, which is wonderful. You've got the book out. What do you hope what do you hope for the future? What do you see for yourself going forward?
2: Well, I, I hope that I can settle down and be a good professor mm. and that I can finally own a home, mm. have a baby, mm. you know, be the best husband that I can to my wife. Mm be a good cat owner to my cats, you know, (laughs) and be a good kin member. So I know Mm. a lot of like our teachings now Mm. because I've studied them in university and we have a concept in Michif and Neheo or Cree called Wakudawin where we're to treat each other as relatives and Mm. be respectful. And I'm learning how to do that with the help of elders in Saskatchewan and like a fasted on the land. So Mm. that's my goal really Mm. is just to be a good relative to my brother's to my, um, my niece, Alexa, shout out to Alexa, I love her, um, my sister-in-law, you know, mm. and just the people that are in my life, my mentor, and all these people that have helped me along the way. Now I have to like, it's it's my turn to put in the work to help other people. Mm. And I'm trying to do that with all the work that I do.
0: Now you mentioned university a couple of times in terms of your culture and learning about your culture, which I thought is interesting, that you turned to university to some degree for learning about your culture and learning about that side of your Yeah, heritage. it's kind
2: of ironic because that <laughs> was the mechanism. Uh, mm. Education was how they conditioned mm. indigeneity out of kids mm. historically. Mm-hmm. And now that's the tool that a lot of indigenous folks are using to re-indigenize themselves mm-hmm like as in my case. So for me, it's been very beneficial in terms of reconnecting with my culture. It's actually how I reconnected with my mom. Mm. I met uh, my uh, doctoral supervisor, and she saw that I was disconnected and flew me back as an as a research assistant to wow. Saskatoon to meet all my family and reconnect with my heritage. So, wow. Yeah.
0: Can you share anything of that experience?
2: Yeah, it was wonderful. It was Dr. Carolyn Padruchny. Um is an expert in Métis history, a road lounge she knows about. She knows about, like, um, uh, Métis bison hunters in the 19th century. And I showed up at her office one day, referred by Dr. Victoria Freeman, because I'd written a paper about my family history, and she knew that Carolyn had to read it. And me and Carolyn discussed my family history, and she said, well, I think that what we need to do is get you back into Saskatchewan so you can see the landscape, meet your relatives, go to different museums, and really understand yourself as a Métis Cree person. And so we did that in 2013, and we interviewed all kinds of elders, and they they, they were waiting there with open arms because I'm not unique, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. among a generation yeah. of Indigenous kids that were let go that are now in their 30s and 40s who are going back to rediscover themselves. And so those elders are there waiting for those uh, people to return some of them don't you know yep. but some of them do and it's really a beautiful process to go back and meet my ancestors and meet my elders and know my culture and university did that for me uh, the strangest places you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is and i really like the line you used about going back is that uh you said it, it was as if the land remembered you yeah. I, I thought that was a really nice line.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I remember I was at Maria Campbell's house. She's a, a relative of mine, and she got me to plant her garden, mm. and she got she got me to literally get onto my f- hands and knees and thrust my hands into yep. the gr- the yep. ground, yep. and it was like electricity shot up my arms, like Saskatchewan remembered one of its lost sons, you know. It was a beautiful mm. moment of my life, mm. and then I've since fasted on the land, mm-hmm. and Tried to make relations with all the, the living entities and non living entities uh, yeah. there, and yeah, it's just it remembers me, it knows who I am, and I know who it is now.
0: You know that's really interesting because again, you mentioned university, and it was uh, it was partially because of my experience at university that I too had to uh, uh, learn. Uh, I had this huge black hole from my own my own indigenous background mm-hmm. that I didn't know much about, and it was only because of my experience at university that I, I had to, I found I had to learn because people were asking me so much about my own background yeah. and I couldn't answer them. And it forced me to, uh, fill in that big black hole that was staring at me. And, and I, you know, and it was the best thing I ever did. I, it sounds like it was also the best thing for you.
2: Oh yeah, it was. And like, even now today, if there's a, like, am I, or am I just acting like a Michif or a mm. Cree person mm. or am I really mm. a Métis or a Cree person? And, I talked to my elder about this and she said, that is the real indigenous (laughs) experience is to question your own identity because everything was destroyed through Mm, colonialism. mm, mm. So that's
0: very natural.
2: And so, yeah, it's just something I went through.
0: That's great. Uh, Anything else that you can think of? Like, um, what are you what are you finding so far at university in terms of what you're teaching? What are what are you seeing in your students? I'm seeing shock at the Métis history
2: that they just didn't learn in grade mm. 10 history that they're taught about Réal, right? Mm. The Métis are just like a blip in Canadian history mm-hmm. and then it's on to the next. Mm-hmm. Well, those people endured on the, on the road allowance and mm-hmm. it was a great tragedy what happened to us. Uh, but also there was like a resilience there in our people because we endured, right? I'm I'm a testament to that. So is my mom and her family. So when I start teaching this to students, I can see their, their minds open up mm. and they say, wow. And they, they kind of relate to it too because there's a lot of newcomers. Mm-hmm. And they also come from places that have been colonized or dispossessed. And so there's a parallel. It's a different history, of course. But there's a lot of relationality to what I'm talking about in terms of Métis history. And so it's beautiful.
0: Now, is there anything uh, going on with you in terms of your book, or or in terms of some of the writings that you've done in, uh, like doing public speaking or or lectures or anything like that that are coming up? Ah, uh, yeah, I'm actually working on a project at St. Michael's
2: Hospital okay. uh, called Pequewin. I wrote I I wrote the definition of indigenous homelessness yes. in Canada, right? And uh, I theorize that it's a disconnection from healthy relationships over time, and so I'm trying to. Graph that into my work, uh, helping homeless Indigenous peoples that end up in and out of medical settings, to save lives. Yes, right. And uh, I think that's the best way to use my experience uh, to help people. Right? It's part of my promise to my grandmother is to do this work. Right.
0: And uh, and you just joined the board for the Canadian Alliance for, to end homelessness uh, in 2019 as well. Right?
2: Yes. Yes. So we're tr- we're a board that. Does a lot of good work around uh, homelessness and housing provision to people that are suffering bouts of homelessness or who are homeless, and we try to prevent it and have upstream solutions. And yeah, it's uh, it's the largest national board of homelessness in Canada. So mm. I feel I can do good work there and mm. and make some really positive changes.
0: Mm. Well, congratulations on that, and uh, Jesse uh, Chimigwech for coming in and talking to us about your life, your book, and uh, your success as a uh, as someone that is that is a uh you know a mentor for others that can learn and and uh, give hope uh for for their own lives so so Jimmy for coming
2: in Marcy McGwitch and and for having me in yeah no, all
0: right that's Jesse Thistle he is the author of uh From the Ashes it's a book you can pick up at your local bookstore or you can get it online uh, I recommend you do so and uh, share it, it with yourself or with someone you might know that could benefit from it And I want to thank him for coming in once again. And that's your show for today. I'm your host, David Moses. Until next time, I say onegihiya.